Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I can't tell you who I am, and I can't tell you the name of the program. But what I can tell you is that if what they say is true, we are in trouble. Now, we didn't make contact in the way you would think we would. We didn't beam out an episode of The Office towards Andromeda and hear back from alien critics. And we definitely didn't meet them face to face. We found another way to communicate, something apparently ancient humans had figured out as well. There are countless dilapidated ancient structures around the world, and some of them, not all, but some, were communication arrays. At least a handful on each continent. I'm sure you'll be able to think of a few after I describe what we did. We have been working on this technology for a while. There had been a long-standing theory that sound has a much larger part in the universe than just being random vibrations. That the universe is simply a bunch of vibrations and sounds, and if you find a way to manipulate those vibrations properly, you could do things that seem impossible. We proved that yesterday. By creating an extremely, extremely, extremely precise echo chamber, and playing certain frequencies into it, at precisely the right volumes and the exact right timings, we broke some sort of barrier. Nothing really happened, visually at least. We had run countless tests like these with tiny, minute differences, and this one seemed pretty mundane. There was a slight unnatural thrumming. The glass between us and the echo chamber shook in regular intervals, as if we were playing a bass-heavy song too loudly. The first thing that tipped us off that something was happening was that once we turned the speakers off, the thrumming didn't stop. My three co-workers and I could all feel this thrumming in our chests still, kind of like being next to a very loud drum. We talked for a moment before we all fell silent. There was something else now. It wasn't a voice. It was some sort of intelligent vibration. I can't explain it. It was like a voice was inside my chest, but it wasn't speaking. I could just feel what it was saying. My cohorts and I debated on the exact wording afterwards, but we all agreed on the overall messages each time. Like I said, they weren't really talking. So I'll do my best to phrase it in ways that get across what they said, in the way they said it. Whoa, you guys are back? Is what I felt in my chest. My colleagues and I stared at each other in utter confusion. One of them spoke up. Hello? He asked hesitantly. There was a silence for a moment before the thrumming spoke back. I think I have it set right now. Say again? Hello? I repeated back to it in place of the other scientist. Yeah, yeah, there it is, he said quickly. You guys figured it out again. That's crazy, it exclaimed. This wasn't what I was thinking the first human-alien conversation was going to go. 
I wasn't even sure that this was first contact at this point, though. Who is this? What is this? I asked loudly into the open air of our control room. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to give you details like who we are, but what this is is the ultimate form of communication in our universe. Your ancestors figured it out briefly, too. With some quick deduction on how it was wording things, I think each of us figured out what we were talking to was an alien in origin around the same time. Where are you from? I asked. You have to be close. Hell, with the way we were talking back and forth, they had to be really close. It takes communications to Mars a few minutes to get there, just because that's as fast as light is. If we were talking this quickly back and forth, they basically had to be on Earth. I guess you wouldn't know. We didn't tell your ancestors. We didn't think they'd get it. Let me do some math real quick. It was about a minute before it spoke again. What you see as your observable universe, that's not the whole universe. Not even close. Multiply that by about 15. And that's about how far we are away. And there's a lot past that. It was speaking utter bullcrap now. That was impossible. We'd never be able to communicate. Ever. Physically impossible. We explained that to the chest voice and we were met by an equal level of confusion. Why are you still using light as a yardstick? It asked incredulously. Suddenly its voice grew slightly dire. You're still not advanced enough. You don't even know. Know what? One of my friends asked. You are dead center in the life abyss. There is no life on any planet around you. For more than ten of your observable universes around you in any direction. It's a universal mystery how you're even alive. It spoke grimly. Never in my life had I felt smaller, more insignificant, and more alone. It continued. And there is a reason for that. I'm in a crappy band with some old high school buddies. A few weeks ago, our bassist, Pierce, informed the rest of the band that his parents had flown to Europe and left their house for us in Fort Collins. His dad is a sound engineer and has a recording studio in the house. We were ecstatic. So we packed light and made the drive from California to Fort Collins, ready to track a backlog of eight songs we'd been sitting on. It was mid-spring, and the mountains looked like they were jutting from oceans of blue and yellow wildflowers. The drive was long, but it was nothing short of spectacular. In fact, it was so beautiful that one night after a recording session, Pierce suggested we go camping. I laughed at the idea. They all knew I'd had a somewhat negative experience in the Colorado Rockies a few years ago. But Ronnie and Jeff jumped on board and insisted I not be a wet blanket about it. Pierce recommended some vanilla tent camping at the foot of the mountain, but Ronnie had a bright idea. He wanted to do some astrophotography, and for that, he said, we need to go to a place that's really dark. So he spent some time Googling and discovered Comanche Peak Wilderness, a remote section of a popular national park. What a great idea, I remember chirping. Why, surely nothing could go wrong. Of course, crap did go wrong and it started on the drive up there. People always forget that evening begins at around 3 p.m. in the deep woods. As soon as the sun dips behind the treetops, the gloom sets in, and things get eerie. 
Nothing makes me more claustrophobic than the sight of that heavy murk sliding over the world. My body rejects it because my brain knows it's too early for dark. I was on edge the second the paved road gave way to dirt. The other thing people forget is just how loud the woods are at times, and how silent they become at others. The contrast between them can make your head spin. One moment it's a symphony of owls and crickets and toads, then a branch will snap or thunder will crack, and suddenly you're wondering if you've gone deaf. And then, of course, if you think about it too much, you realize just how full the darkness is with all those watching eyes. We went in as deep as we could. We ditched Pierce's truck on the side of some forgotten road and hiked about a half mile into the trees. There was no trail. We followed the GPS to a tiny lake nestled somewhere uphill, where Ronnie could set up his cameras. Where Ronnie could set up his cameras and get a clear view of the sky. We hadn't crossed a solitary soul after entering the preserve a few hours ago, and I felt apprehensive about that fact. We hadn't crossed a solitary soul after entering the preserve a few hours prior, and I felt apprehensive about the fact that no one knew where we were. By dusk, we had set up the two tents Pierce had borrowed from his parents. We made a small bonfire pit between them and strung all our food in the trees like you're supposed to do. Ronnie set up his cameras along the shore, and then we waited for nightfall. My anxiety worsened as darkness ate away at the sky. The guys didn't notice. They drank and smoked and carried on. And right when the world went black, leaves began to crunch in the distance behind our tents. A girl emerged from the tree line and stopped at the edge of our little clearing. This girl was probably eight years old and wore a white dressing gown, like she'd just woken up. She had platinum blonde, almost white hair, and skin so pale she looked like a ghost in the firelight. She wasn't carrying a flashlight or anything. She'd been walking in pitch-black woods. She squinted at our fire as if it annoyed her, and let out a few wet coughs. We all just stared at each other in confusion while she studied us. There were no roads or trails in this area. This was not a campground. Her presence made no sense. Jeff eventually called out to her, asking if she was okay, and she replied, My mom's sick. Can you guys come help us? Uh, where is she? Jeff asked. The girl just pointed into the forest. The trees and shadows and mist clustered together to form a great big wall of nope. I gave Jeff a subtle, hell-no headshake. I might be a coward, but I'm not about to get disappeared by some malevolent wood pixie. Ronnie stood up and asked the girl if they were camping, or if they had a house, or what. The girl just said, She's really sick. Just follow me. She started coughing again. At this point, all four of us could see that something was wrong. Pierce, probably the clever of us, invited the girl to come warm up by the fire and explain what was going on. I think he knew she'd decline. The girl just turned and walked back into the woods, coughing as she went. Before she vanished, she turned around and said something, but we couldn't be certain of what. I heard, soon you'll be a liar. But Ronnie heard, soon you'll meet the liar.
We built the fire up a lot more, mostly to keep a good perimeter against the darkness. All of us were creeped out, but after a few hours, the guys had mostly forgotten about the girl. They laughed and told stories about drunken escapades. At some point, Jeff and I went to the tree line to take a piss. I walked about ten steps into the woods and blasted the dark with my flashlight, Jeff following closely behind. I wanted to see if there was a clearing on the other side, or a footpath the girl might have followed. But there was nothing, just a snarl of impassable trees. We heard Ronnie shouting something, so we jogged back to the fire and saw him examining the southern edge of the clearing. That was the direction we left the truck in. Pierce said as we passed by, he thinks he heard more footsteps. I heard them too. Standing next to Ronnie, I could make out a new pair of feet trampling the leaves in the dark. It was louder than the girl had been, probably bigger. Show yourself, Ronnie shouted again. We are armed. To my surprise, a woman answered him. She laughed and said, Don't shoot. Just a hiker. We moved back and watched her step into the clearing. She was probably in her late thirties and wore a raggedy hat and an old beat-up pack. I remember hearing Pierce grumble something like, Real private spot you found here, Ronnie. And I agreed. The hell were all these people bumping into us way out here? The woman introduced herself as Sarah and apologized for scaring us. Ronnie demanded to know what she was doing out here, and she explained that she'd done the full-day loop around the mountain, but got lost for a while. She claimed to have found her bearings and now knew where she was going. You know the way back? He repeated to her. Yep. In the dark. Without a flashlight. Uh-huh. I know this area pretty well. Ronnie wasn't buying a word of it. He turned back to the rest of us and said, we're getting cased, guys. We're about to get robbed. As soon as we fall asleep, campers get killed by thieves and meth heads all the time. Well, thanks for bringing us out here, dingus, Jeff said. Sarah laughed again. She was real smiley for a woman lost in the woods. In the dark. I swear it's nothing like that, she said. Look, I'll be on my way. For whatever reason, I felt the urge to press her further. So I said, you know you're not the only person we've met out here who's walking around without a light. That fake little smile fell off Sarah's face, and it took the wind right out of my sails. She stared at me like she could see down into the deepest places inside me. You met the little girl? She asked with a blank expression. My bandmates all exchanged looks of incredulity. Sarah collected herself and a new smile spread across her face. She said, Don't listen to anything that little brat says. She's a liar, through and through. Look, why don't you guys hike down to the ranger station with me? It'll be safer together. She pointed behind herself, into the woods. Something lit up in my brain. This was the second time a stranger had tried to coax us into the dark. We weren't going to get robbed. Something much worse was about to happen. Pierce seemed to have come to the same conclusion, and he invited Sarah to instead join us around the fire. As he did with the little girl, he knew Sarah would decline. The strange woman told us she had to get back before it got any colder, and with that, she turned and hurried into the woods. 
After a long debate about what to do, we decided that hiking back to the truck was the fastest way to get lost or killed. We hadn't used a trail, and our phone batteries were low. Every time the wind blew, it set a thousand trees groaning and shivering, which made it impossible to orient ourselves by sound. And it was so black that if I stared into the darkness long enough, I started having minor hallucinations as my brain tried to make sense of the void. So we kept the fire blazing and agreed to sleep in two-person shifts. Since Pierce and I were the soberest of the bunch, we agreed to stay up first. But only an hour into our watch, we started hearing the coughs and sputters of a little girl in the distance. I followed Pierce to the lake's edge, which lay about thirty yards from our camp. There we heard an eerie voice wafting on the breeze. I saw the silhouette of a person milling about near the water a few hundred feet away, and realized it was the girl. She was wandering around in the dark, singing. We booked it back to the fire and woke up Jeff and Ronnie, alerting them to the girl's presence. But as we discussed what to do, another voice erupted from nearby and began singing as well. It sounded just like Sarah. Pierce and I jumped into the tent with the other guys and sealed it up, terrified that the time had come for whatever these creeps had planned. But no one approached our camp. The two people just walked in slow half-circles behind the trees, singing together in a language I couldn't identify. Ronnie always keeps a menacing-looking trail knife on him when we go hiking, and he scrambled for it while shouting that he'd butcher anybody who came near us. His yelling caused the people outside to go quiet for a few moments. I pulled out my phone to record some of the voices, but my hands were shaking so hard I could barely operate it. I caught a bit of the girl, but then something even weirder happened. None of us are certain of how many people were in those woods, but we heard a third voice at that moment. It was deeper and guttural, like the sound of some night predator stalking around in a jungle. I'm not certain the noise was made by a person. Ronnie and Jeff believe the sound is coming from the girl who has a coughing fit and then begins channeling some demonic voice. Pierce and I think it's a third person or an animal that was with them, waiting for us to leave the safety of the bonfire. Here's the sound of the recording. Sorry for the poor quality. I have a crappy phone. Turn your phone. After the commotion, the activity in the woods died down for a while. The guys and I remained inside the tent, terrified, only leaving its shelter to throw more wood on the fire about once an hour. None of us slept, and for the rest of the night, we occasionally heard distant singing, laughing, coughing, and the occasional whisper. Sometimes the girl would say, Can you help us? 
in the exact same tone, as if her voice had been recorded and replayed over and over. We also heard someone, probably Sarah, climbing a nearby tree and shouting things like, I see you boys, and let's go together, it's safe now. And that was it. By dawn we were exhausted from terror and half frozen in the tent. The noises stopped and the people, if they were people at all, had long abandoned their efforts to lure us into the dark. We packed up and hiked back to the truck, which had thankfully not been ransacked. As far as I'm concerned, the next time I go camping, it'll be in a treeless desert in Arizona, and I'll see if I can get Ronnie to post some of those night sky shots. She's cheating on you, you know. My wife was looking at me with the eyes that I fell in love with, bright blue with a tear running down her cheek from spending the last five minutes laughing too hard. She wiped a tear away and playfully slapped me on the chest as I pulled her in and ran my fingers through her sides, causing her to burst out in laughter again. It was in this joyous, casual moment that I first heard the voice. I looked around for the accuser and saw nothing. With a deep breath, I passed it off and sat down on the couch, beckoning for Eliza to do the same. She walked over with a suspect look on her face, and I promised that I wouldn't tickle her anymore tonight. Once she sat, I wrapped her up in my arms and flipped on a movie that we would inevitably fall asleep to. Isn't it strange? You almost never have nights like these anymore, but every once in a while. Did you hear that? I asked, shooting up from my relaxed position. It sounded so clear, like whoever was talking was right behind us. You hear what, sweetie? Her face was as perplexed as mine, but clearly for a different reason. I wiped a bead of sweat off my forehead and took one more look around the living room and kitchen area to no avail. Uh, I don't know. I'm not feeling too well, and I think I'm just going to call it a night. I'm sorry. Rain check for a movie tomorrow night? I replied, leaning down over the couch to give her a kiss on the forehead. Oh, okay, she replied, her tone suggesting that she was disappointed. I did feel bad but I just needed some sleep. When she got up to follow me to bed, I told Eliza that she should stay up and get some of her work done, and that me going to bed early shouldn't mean she has to as well. With a nod of agreement, we parted ways for the evening. When I got to the bedroom, I shed my daytime clothes and crawled into our king-size mattress. The longer I laid down, the more I thought to myself that I had overreacted. Surely I had been imagining things, and there was no reason for me to be as freaked out as I was. After about an hour, I was about to get up to rejoin my wife in the living room when I felt a pressure in the crook of my neck, right where Eliza would lie her head at night when we would cuddle up before falling asleep. I tried to scream, but nothing came out. I felt the phantom pressure stroking my chest now, just as Eliza would. I mean you no harm. I just want to show you the love you deserve. The voice was smooth like honey. If it weren't for the extreme circumstances, I would have found it relaxing. Perhaps a voice that would fit well in a meditation video. 
My eyes went wide, and I tried my hardest to struggle, but my body wouldn't cooperate. It felt as though a thousand-ton weight were sitting on each of my limbs, making it impossible to move. Now, as a child, I was obsessed with everything paranormal, and I spent years of my adolescence trying to contact one spirit or another. I tried summoning circles, the elevator game, Ouija boards, you name it. Nothing was ever successful, of course, but it was oh so entertaining. As an adult, I had to put away those childish adventures and stored them, as well as all of the knowledge of otherworldly beings, in a far recess of my brain. Therefore, despite knowing exactly what this being was and how to combat it, I would never be able to recall that information in time. What do you want from me? I thought inwardly, hoping that whatever was subduing me was able to hear my thoughts. I just told you, my dear. I want to show you the love that you deserve. I want to show you that that girl that you call a wife has been lying to you for years. Don't you dare speak about Eliza that way. I shouted, with as much animosity as my internal voice could muster. I can prove it. I'm going to let you go. Ask her about Marcus. I will be here for you afterwards. As soon as the voice finished its sentence, all of the weight was removed from my body and I jerked upwards. I got out of bed and flipped back on the light. I swear I saw a flash of blonde hair in the mirror on the door at the moment the light spilled throughout the room, but when I turned around, nothing was there. I peered into the mirror, contemplating what to do. It could be crazy for me to actually believe. It could be crazy of me to actually believe whatever it was that was just speaking to me, right? I've been with Eliza for 14 years, and we have been nothing but happy the entire time. I mean, sure, we had our spats, but every couple does. It's healthy to have arguments from time to time. Also, we spent most of our time together. Surely I would notice if she had gone long enough to actually cheat. Then again, it couldn't hurt to ask. I didn't have to phrase it as an accusatory statement. If the name Marcus rang a bell, then I would be able to tell by her reaction. Eliza is terrible at hiding her emotions. Just as I made a decision, the door opened and Eliza came into the bedroom, already half-naked. She met my eyes and gave me a devilish smile before crawling onto the bed, looking back at me like she wanted to play. I sat down next to her, not in the mood. This is going to sound crazy, but I need to ask you something. My eyes didn't meet her as I spoke, and she immediately realized that gravity of my mood. Is this about what happened earlier? Eliza ran her fingers down my arm as she moved closer. I shrugged them off. Tell me about Marcus, I said, looking up to meet her gaze for the first time in what felt like eternity. It only took a moment to realize that whatever entity spoke to me earlier was telling the truth. Eliza's face became pained and her voice began to stutter as she looked for an explanation. I needed none. I told you. Come be with me. I spent the next week in a motel. To say I was depressed would be an understatement. I had the paperwork for divorce filled out and sitting on the scratch and wood dresser in front of me, crying 
as I signed the final few forms. I'll make you breakfast tomorrow morning. We can be beautiful together. Who are you? I shouted. The voice hadn't left me alone since the first time I heard it. I've been in love with you for as long as I can remember. You can't see me, but I've always been here. I know this is strange. That's why I waited this long to make contact, but I couldn't stand to see things go the way they were anymore. As the being spoke, I received another text from Eliza, trying to apologize and explain more. I threw my phone at the wall and it shattered into a million pieces. A manic giggle escaped my lips as I imagined the android as my heart. How poetic, I thought. How can you love me? I have no idea who you are. I have no idea what you are. I know this is hard to comprehend. I felt a phantom touch on the small of my back once more, and I spun around, throwing my hands wildly around. I couldn't take it anymore. Was I crazy? Stop touching me, I screamed, throwing a fist down onto the dresser. Pain shot through my hand. I had probably broken at least a pinky finger. Don't you understand? I'm doing this to protect you. You should be thankful I rid you and the world of that cheating whore. Let me show you. The voice was getting more impatient and angry. It sent shivers down my spine before finally the pressure went away and I felt the ghostly presence in the room behind me leave. I felt alone for the first time since I left my real home. Wait, did that... Things say rid the world of my wife? I let out a grunt and put my head down on the desk. Why was this happening? I'm a good person. I work hard. I've always been honest and faithful. I don't deserve this crap. The next morning there were scrambled eggs and Canadian bacon drizzled with maple syrup on the counter. Still steaming when I woke up. That was my favorite meal. How did it get here? Good morning. Would it be okay for me to speak? We need to talk, I started, remembering what the voice had said last night. Of course. What is it, my dear? Last night you said that you rid me and the world of my wife. What do you mean, rid the world of her? Did you harm her? I did a service to you. People like that don't deserve to live any longer. Now calm down and eat your breakfast. A sense of overwhelming calm washed over me, and I looked over at the kitchen counter to notice what had been prepared for the first time. Did, uh, did you make this? I asked, slowly making my way over to the delicious smelling feast. I did. I know it is your favorite. I know it's your favorite. How? I inspected each piece of bacon, making sure it wasn't some trick that my broken mind was playing on me but it felt real. It smelled real, and it certainly tasted real. In fact, as I took the first bite, I thought that it might have been the best-cooked breakfast I had ever had. I also reflected on the fact that it might have been crazy for me to so willingly trust this food that appeared in such a strange method, but at this point, I hardly cared. I told you, I've loved you for a long time. I know everything about you. Normally, I would tell you how incredibly creepy that is, but honestly, 
This food is so good, I'm willing to let it slide. I finished every last bite in no time. It must have been days since I had any decent food. Would it be okay if I touched you again? Uh, I guess that would be okay. As soon as I responded, I felt a familiar pressure of hands being wrapped around my waist and a body being pressed up against my back. I turned my head around, but nothing was there. Not that I expected anything different. Why can't I see you? I asked, feeling the desire now to know who or what it was that was providing me with these small comforts. I think you know why. I do not exist in the same plane as you, and while I can interact with it to a small degree, showing myself in a visible form would be too much for my spirit to take, and I would pass on to the next world. If you would like, however, I can visit you in your dreams. I think I would like that. Two years have passed since then. I've since learned that my new friend's name is Lisa, and that she really does have my best interests in mind. She stays with me all the time, and although I have tried to date a few different real girls, none of them seem to have the connection that we do. Every night, Lee visits me in my dreams, and every night she looks different. Some days she appears as a supermodel-esque tall brunette with long legs and a curvy body, and other nights as a petite blonde with glasses and messy clothes. It seems that she knows exactly what I want. Always. We now share a one-bedroom condo off on the countryside. Breakfast is served every morning, always piping hot and precisely what my morning brain is fiending for. I've asked Lee if she is able to enjoy that same food that I am, and she promises that on her side, she is eating the same thing. It feels strange but somehow I feel happier now than I ever had before. Sure, we have our fights, which are mildly irritating, given the fact that she can just hold me down where I am and scream into my mind until I admit that she's right. But she is, after all, always right. And although I know that I'll never be able to truly see her, I know in my heart of hearts. She's the most beautiful girl I've never seen. I don't know what's going on. I live in a normal town, about as normal as any other regular town in America. There are a bunch of regular people that live here, and most have been here their whole lives. I moved out here about three years ago to take care of my grandfather. He passed not long after and I inherited his home. It's not anything special, but why not take a free home? It's normally very peaceful. It was five o'clock last night when everything started. I've been awake for so long now. The clock on my laptop says it's 4 a.m. It all started after dinner. I work early, usually 5 a.m. to 1 p.m., so I eat an early dinner when I get home. I was cooking some broccoli and potatoes, nothing special. All week they had said the weather was going to be perfect, and it had been all day, up until then. As I was cooking, a dark shelf cloud started rolling in, and before I knew it, it was pouring buckets and lightninging like crazy. The thing that threw me off, though, was the sound. There was no thunder, 
Hey, summer heat, lightning, right? You are required to shut your doors, windows, and vents. Turn off your lights. Stay out of hallways and basements. Choose a room on the second floor fable and lock your door. Do not come out until advised. I dropped everything and froze. What the hell? I said. I think they were using the tornado siren as a giant megaphone because the quality was awful, but I could tell what it was saying. I figured it was just a really bad storm and the town was just taking precaution. I went to finish cooking my dinner when I heard a crack at the front door. It sounded like a branch may have hit it hard. It's happened before, so I paid it no mind. I got the food and headed into the living room, grabbed my laptop and headed into the bathroom. I don't have a basement, so I figured I'd chill in the tub. I threw my stuff in there, went to my room and grabbed a pillow and some blankets, in case it was going to be a long night. I made sure all the doors and windows around were locked and headed back to the bathroom. I made it to the room, shut the door, and locked it. I took two steps away, and something jiggled the handle. It wasn't just a slight jiggle. It was a few direct tries at opening the door. What the hell, hello? I asked. I looked under the door and saw a shadow against the hallway light. It moved away, and the hallway light turned off. Okay, that's super weird. Is the power out? No, the power wasn't out. I was still getting internet. Again, another jiggle at the handle. Oh, crap. I have a camera in the hallway. I bet I can see what it is. I hopped on the computer and pulled up the camera's feed. Left my phone in the frigging kitchen, or I'd just use the app. I wish I hadn't opened it up. What I saw, I can barely explain. It was like a shadow, but a bony shadow. I could tell it was skeletal, but it moved in ways I can't explain. Almost like it was moving into itself in areas. And things were trying to get out of it from inside. I heard the doorknob jiggle a few more times, then a bang. I jumped out of my skin and almost broke my foot kicking the tub faucet. Did it hit the door? No, it wasn't a close bang. I checked the camera again and that's when I saw. The windows down the hallway were open. All of them. And now there were more of them. They just stood there, looking at the door, almost forming a line. One would jiggle the handle, then move on and let another try. One looked around the door frame and just touched the door, then moved away. I don't know what the hell they were doing. It turns out it was going to my camera. It's now off, and I can't see how many are out there. This went on for at least an hour, then it just stopped. The wind stopped, the pacing stopped, and I don't see their shadow under the doorway. The hallway light is back on. The only thing is, the siren is still running in town. It's repeating the exact same message. I'm too afraid to open the door and look. My laptop battery is almost dead. Why would the alert still be on? Something doesn't feel right. I'm going to try to go to sleep. If I keep the door locked, I should be fine, right? Update. Things are not okay. I'll tell you more tomorrow.
things are not going well for me or anyone else in town for that matter. I left you guys while I was in my bathroom and everything was seemingly back to normal. The light was back on, the windstorm had died down, and I couldn't hear any of those things outside the door. My laptop died only five minutes after I had last posted, so I'm sorry I couldn't update until now. Things got out of control quickly. Where do I start? So everything was back to normal, but I wasn't going to open that damn door. No way. I decided to sleep and take a shot at things in the morning. I covered the bathroom window with a towel, never saw anything by it or outside of it, just the storm, and headed to the tub. I slept super well, actually, which seems weird. I fell asleep and woke up in the same exact position in the tub. I peeked over the rim and saw the light was still on. Okay. Good. I peeked through the towel on the bathroom window. Okay. Not so good. I saw outside, maybe 20 feet away from my house, five of those things. I could get a much better look at them from this viewpoint. Bear with me, because I still can't wrap my mind around what the hell these things are. Here's how I can explain them. You know raw chicken skin? Take that, but make it six feet tall. Wrap it around like a human-like skeletal structure, but add some more bones in there for good measure. And to make things a little more jagged looking. Now fill it with Vaseline. Add two little black eyes to the top of the forehead, and a circular mouth about the size of a silver dollar. That's what these things are. I stared out the window with awe and endless fear. I must have stared out at them for more than a few minutes. They would just look at each other and shuffle around aimlessly. A few times they literally snapped their necks 360 degrees to look around, and I think it was to check on noises. I think this, because as I was standing there, I must have bumped into a bottle in the shower, causing it to fall. It made a loud bang, and I watched the thing snap their necks and eyes directly to the window. I was frozen in terror and disgust. All of them proceeded to line up next to each other. They looked back and forth between each other until one on the end did something I'll never be able to unsee. It looked like every bone in its body moved at the same time, jutting out of position and into a new one. It looked like it was trying to imitate an animal, getting down on all fours, but when it moved, it didn't really know how. It started to move around the side of the house and it was the most disgusting and unnatural thing I have ever seen. I was almost physically sick from watching it. Then I did throw up, because the next three did the exact same thing. I cleaned off my mouth in time to see the last one just start walking around the side of my house, its eyes and head never moving from the window. Oh no, I thought. They're coming now. And I was correct. I looked under the door to see the shadow of one of them, and then the doorknob testing began again. It was almost rhythmic, the way they took turns testing it. I was at a loss. I sat in the tub of thinking of what the hell I could do. Use a shower curtain rod and attack them? No, no, no. No, the thing would snap in half on the first hit. Stay in here and try to wait it out? Nope. They know exactly where I'm at now. 
The only thing I could think of was to distract them and make a run for it. My neighbor's house was only 50 yards away, and I could see his back door was open. I couldn't see any of those things walking around inside, and there were no more I could see outside in the yard. I turned on the faucet in the sink and turned the shower on full blast. I decided to not bring the laptop. It's too heavy. My phone was still somewhere in the house. I'm not sure where. I slowly and quietly opened the window and the screen behind it. I crawled out, making sure not to knock over any more bottles. I dropped to the ground and made almost no sound. Outside, it was quiet. I heard a few birds chirping and actually a dog barking way down the road. I looked around and couldn't see any life or any signs of those things. I started to walk towards my neighbor's house. There's woods to my right, about 100 yards out, and the road to my left with woods on the other side of it. As I'm walking, I hear this noise that I can only describe as bone-chillingly horrifying. Look up koala's bellowing. It's like a pig laughing and wheezing but ten times louder. I looked over into the woods and saw one of those things on all fours just looking at me and inflating, deflating its head to make those noises. I panicked and started to sprint towards the back door of my neighbors. I looked behind and saw the others walking around the side of my house and spotting me. I kept running and saw the one in the woods start running at me on all fours but then moved to start running on just its legs. Fast. I'm glad I was as close as I was. I made it to the back porch door and shut it and locked it. The thing ran right into it and almost knocked itself out. I stood there as it just got up and reconfigured its bones, but then looked down and tried the doorknob. It looked back at me, then back down, just trying to get the door to open. I backed away and looked for the nearest room. I crept up the stairs and turned into the first room. The door was open, and I could see deep maroon stains on the carpet. Okay, I need a break. I'll update you guys again soon. I'm okay now, and I think I'm starting to figure some things out, but I need to rest. One of those things managed to mess my leg up a bit. I'll explain later. If this is happening anywhere else, stay safe, lock your doors, or at least block them heavily, please. Uh, I feel like I'm living through a nightmare. I don't even know where to begin with this update. So much has happened, and some of it I know you people won't believe. Hell, I barely believe it myself. It's like something out of a video game. So I got into my neighbor's house. I had never actually been inside, but one time to use the bathroom at a cookout. He was an older guy whose wife had just passed a few years ago. He was usually in good spirits, and would keep up with the lawn and such, just living out his life. His house was actually pretty nice, given the circumstances, and nothing else was really touched. My neighbor, though, he didn't fare well against these things, and I'm not sure if it's because he didn't listen to the alert or what. I wish I could unsee what I saw in his bedroom. 
I turn the corner into the room and realize there were maroon bloodstains all around. It looked like someone had exploded from the inside. Becerra covered an entire corner where I saw a pile of mush. Just skin and mush. I ran out of the room and got sick again. I took a few minutes to collect myself and went back in. It was my neighbor. It had to be. His walking stick was right there next to him, bent. At least he got one last shot in, right? It took a second, but I realized something. There were no bones. None that I could see, at least. I know why now, but didn't realize it at the time. I looked around the room and everything else seemed fine and intact. It's weird. These things seem to be immensely strong, i.e. my neighbor's remains, and they don't break down doors. They don't seem to have any sharp claws that I can see. I don't get it. I had made my way back into the hallway and was trying to pull my mind together when I heard something downstairs. A door opening. I froze for a second, snapped out of it quickly. I shuffled down the hall and tried a door. Locked. Crap. I tried the door adjacent to it, and thankfully it was not. Unfortunately, though, it was another bathroom. I slightly sighed, but got into the bathroom lightning fast as I heard something coming up the little stairs and that same grunting sound again. I felt like my eardrums were going to shatter in that hallway. I slammed the door shut and locked it. I checked the inside and there was a window, and it led to the first floor roof. Okay, good. I had a way out. I heard the thing creep up to the door and yet again try the handle. This time, though, it was a little different. Since there was only one of them so far, it just kept trying. It sounded like it was using a drill and just constantly trying to turn the knob. I was afraid that the thing was going to fall off. I opened the window and looked around. I heard that same grunting in the distance, but I saw nothing around the side of the house. I crept out onto the roof and closed the window as best I could. I forgot to turn on the shower, but oh well. I surveyed the outsides and still didn't see any of them. The ones from my house either left or were now also inside my neighbor's house. I hopped down off the roof into the bush, avoiding any injuries and without making too much noise. Once I was down, I realized I had no clue what I was going to do now. I quickly decided I was going to take a shot through the woods and into town. I needed to know what was going on and if it's also happening in town. I booked it for the tree line, and made it. I looked back, and saw nothing. No creatures after me. Thank God. I proceeded to lightly move through the woods towards my destination. Trigger warning, animal remains. As I made my way through, I know the area well. I smelled something awful, and I knew the smell. I came upon another carcass this one more recognizable. Well, it was actually two. Two deer that were flayed open, more precisely this time. It was almost like a surgeon took ten hours and meticulously opened them up and took out their bones. I don't understand how, but I didn't have much time to look. As I stood there, I heard a rustling nearby. I ducked over a fallen tree and stayed as still as I could. 
one of the creatures was meandering by. I came upon the carcass and studied it for a minute or two. It didn't seem to notice me, thankfully. I was about twenty yards away from it. It stood there, eyeing the remains, and then my stomach dropped. Out of its forearm, slash wrist, I think, came this long protrusion. There was no blood or anything, and I didn't see it there before, so it had to come out of it. It was like a long butcher's knife. The creature's arm popped and cracked into another position and bent down, slicing at the carcass. It stood back up and made some more revolting, popping movements and made a sighing kind of noise. Apparently it was happy with itself. It looked around a few times, then started walking back from where it came. I waited a good five minutes to make sure nothing else was around. I could hear some birds, and more grunting way out in the distance, but that was it. I got up, and started back on the trail. It took me a little over thirty minutes to walk into town through the woods. It was nice out at least. A small shine of light in the last insane twenty-four plus hours. I made it to the edge of town and was at the back of the gas station. Everything seemed normal until I turned the corner. The amount of viscera, I can't even explain. I don't know whether it was animal or worse, but it was everywhere. Some I could tell were for sure animal, and some I could tell was for sure person. It felt like I was walking into a horror movie scene. I was not okay. I turned around, started walking my way to the bank. It's the first place I could think of going since it seemed more secure than any other building around. Thankfully, I was right. I made it to the bank and tried the door, but it was locked. I looked around the front and saw one of the things. He was on the corner just staring out, almost not moving at all, just swaying back and forth a little. I picked up a sizable chunk of loose concrete on the ground and threw it as far as I could past it. It snapped its neck so hard to the noise that it literally fell limp, then reconfigured and started moving towards it. I still can't get over how they move. It's so unnatural. A few more came out of nowhere and joined it. I had no idea where they had came from. I started to move along the wall towards the front of the building and then froze. One of them was shambling past the front door and was headed right past me. I held my breath, watched as it moved past me, seemingly not paying attention. As it was just past, I coughed, letting the arrow. It perked up and looked right at me. Damn it. I sprinted towards the door and made it, but not without injury. The thing must have taken a swing at me as I was running and I felt nothing. I didn't know if it was adrenaline or what, but it took a nasty swipe at my leg, and it was now bleeding pretty badly. I locked the door, but the whole thing was glass, and I wasn't going to take a chance. I put a few fake plants and trees in front of it and tried moving a table, but it was too heavy. I limped back to behind the front desk and took off my shirt. I ripped it and wrapped it around my leg as tight as I could. It stopped bleeding a little while later, I guess, but I passed out so I don't know how much blood I lost. I woke up to those things pacing around the outside of the bank. I can see them all through the windows. I can't count how many they are. They just seem to keep coming. There's maybe 50 now. I don't know. 
A few of them keep making that damn grunting noise, and I'm sure it's bringing them in. I'm on the bank's computer now, and there's nothing on the news about this. I've started hearing vehicles, though, coming from somewhere. It's a low rumble, but I know it's the sound of a truck or something. There's also jets or planes or something. Maybe helicopters. I don't know. Those things aren't even trying the door, as far as I can tell. They're just shuffling around outside like zombies. I feel like I'm going crazy. If anyone out there in my town even is still alive, please help. John, Jerry, Mark, Liz, I'm sorry if you're out there and I can't help you. I'm going to sleep. I can barely keep my eyes open. I haven't eaten in so long, but there's a vending machine across the room. I might try and get to it, but it'll show those things I'm still in here. Till next time, stay safe. Field Report AA5270F Time, 2353 hours Location, redacted Subject found, male, 20s, wound to lower extremity, dehydrated Field Note Team 3 was dispatched to, redacted In accordance to Section A34 of Guidelines Mission Brief, Eradicate Project, redacted from location and retrieve samples per guideline set. Team 3 had arrived at the location and Project Redacted was present. Commenced purge outside of building and gave all clear to breach and clear building. Team 3 found no trace of Project Redacted, but found one male subject inside, wounded and falling into unconsciousness. Subject was evacuated and taken to Redacted. Team 3 was redeployed outside of previous location to find Mother Hive. Subject is currently being treated for wounds and possible infections. Brief interview with subject has occurred. Notes are below. Interview Transcript What is your name? Where the hell am I? Who are you? Sir, what is your name? Uh, my name is Alan. What the hell is going on here? Are those things here? Okay, Alan. What do you mean by those things? Uh, those alien monsters with the bones and... Where are you? Why can't I see you? How did you get the wound on your leg, Alan? One of those things, I guess. I was running, and I just remember getting inside the bank and closing the door. How long has it been since then? Three days, Mr. Alan. You've been in a medically induced coma so that we may treat your injuries. Are you with the government? What the hell is going on out there? I've never seen anything like this. It's like a it's like a horror movie. Mr. Allen, when did you first see the beings inside your home? It was like six, maybe seven days. Wait, what? How do you know they were in my house? Were you in the town? Did you get the alert? When did you first hear the alert, Mr. Allen? Uh, I was cooking. And it looked like a storm was coming in, I think. Then the alert started and I went to the bathroom. What the hell, man? Wait, did you send the alert or something? Are you the people behind all this? Alan, I'm going to be frank with you so as to hopefully answer any questions you have. We are not with the United States government or any foreign entity. We are a group outside of the bounds of public and private law. 
This may be a strange thing to hear, but we are what many people call the ones behind the curtain. Yes, we did send the alert. Yes, we did know about these creatures. We are still studying them, and they are a menace to any area they may be. The information you can provide me may be useful in future endeavors and could save lives. Are you f <laughs> We do know that where they are and where they go, they tend to decimate the local population, be it animal or human. We call them Project Redacted. No, we did not create them intentionally. It was more of an invite of sorts. The story behind that is above my pay grade. I apologize. The team that extracted you and saved your life is in the process of finding and eliminating the main hive, or mother hive as they've termed it. These things feed on calcium, hence the deboning of any subject. I will never be able to unsee what I've seen, what they do to the bodies. Of course, Mr. Allen. The beings breed rapidly, but only in certain locations at a time. I feel approved to tell you all this because you will not be leaving. I am so sorry. But once you have been in contact with the creatures, you may exhibit signs of certain illnesses that only we may treat. What the hell are you talking about? I'm not staying here, you... The patient begins to rip out his medical devices. Doctors are dispatched, and patient is sedated. Look, I understand, Mr. Allen. I was exactly like you just over a year ago. You'll become accustomed to it here if your injuries prove to be non-fatal. We will see. End of transcript. Field notes edit. As of this time, oh one fourteen hours, Mother Hive has been located in area. Team 3, 11, and 21 are dispatched. Mother Hive has been located at Redacted, and is as sizable as Hive found on 12-201. Adding to file. Teams currently deployed have requested backup on location. Sending teams 5 and 30. Hive is not susceptible to extreme heat or puncture. Blunt strikes is known. Use of FMJ proves to be adequate as keeping Project Redacted at bay, but is only lethal 37% of the time if not hitting targeted areas on the body. Use of LN2 has proved 99% effective on any creature and is still preferred method of eradication. All teams are approved for lethal force and approved for use of LN2 redacted. Alpha Leader 3 would like 5 to 10 project redacted. Subjects taken dead and at least 2 to 3 taken alive. Alpha Leaders 1 and 2 have now commented. Field Notes Edit 2 as of this time, 0434 hours, Mother Hive has been eradicated. Three casualties recorded on Team 5, no foul play. Bodies have been recovered and are being transferred to Lab 1C. Note, all teams confirm project redacted. Started to retreat during encounter and unknown number of subjects have escaped. Remaining teams have been deployed to track. Number of project redacted. Dead. 2000. 478, approximate. Mother has been taken and en route to lab at redacted. First recorded instance of mother being taken. This should prove immeasurable and fight against them. We have found Subject Allen's internet history, giving us a more complete picture of his experience around Project 
Redacted. To do. Locate next test site. Test samples within environment at new test site. Confer with lab 2B on possible. Redacted. And redacted. For current agents in the field. Update list of eradicated locations. June 27th, 2019. Agent Zen of Field Reporting Unit. New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's Theory of Evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a two-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.